to welcome you today. If you haven't been with us before in this series, we're in week three of a series we've entitled Finding the Missing Peace, because peace is missing in our lives these days. It's easy to find people who talk about all the stress in their life, all the worries in their life, all the fears in their life, but you don't find many people talking about, man, my life is just overflowing with peace. Well, how do I find peace? And we've talked about how to find peace in difficult circumstances, how to find peace while we're waiting on God for some things we've been waiting for for a long time. That's what we did the first couple weeks. And today we're talking about finding peace when other people drive me crazy. And it's been interesting because I've had conversations over the last couple weeks ago. I love the series on peace, but man, you got to talk about how to, they've even told me that they were looking forward to this message. A couple people, they said, because man, I mean, I don't know how to find peace. I mean, if you knew my brother-in-law or if you knew my neighbor or if you knew my mom or if you knew my kids, fill in the blank. I mean, they just drive me crazy. I mean, they know how to push my buttons and they got their fingers stuck and taped there with duct tape. And if you ever thought, oh, there's some people who just drive me crazy. Well, this is a message And how do we find peace in the midst of all that? Because Jesus said, I'm going to give you a gift that the world can't give. My peace. And the world says that peace is when everything is great. It's the absence of problems. But what the Bible says is, peace isn't the absence of problems. It's the presence of Jesus. I'm going to say that one more time because I need a louder amen than that. Let's try it again. The world says that peace is the absence of problems, but the Bible says that peace is the presence of Jesus. Yeah, and we're going to talk about what does that mean in relationships when we're around people who drive us crazy? Because we all have people in our lives that drive us crazy. And sometimes we're the ones doing the driving. Let's have a word of prayer and we'll jump right in. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for the day, and I just pray that today you will speak and move me out of the way. And you'd remind us that you came to give us peace. Oh, God, I just ask that you would speak to each one of us today. In just a moment of silence, before I say another word, would you just pray if you would like peace in your life and be able to understand how to handle things better in your life? Would you just pray silently where you are and say, Lord, I could use some peace. I could use some renewed understanding today. Well, Father, we thank you that you're always more ready to listen than we are to pray. We thank you for your word. It's our guide in all matters of faith and practice. And, Lord, I thank you that you want us to have peace. In fact, that's why you sent Jesus into the world, to give us peace. He's the Prince of Peace. So speak to us now. Move me out of the way, Lord. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. So let me just be clear on this. This is not a message about conflict resolution. This is a message about finding peace, about not letting our lives and attitudes be controlled by the actions and words of others. I mean, let that sink in for a little bit. I can't control what's coming my way today, but with the power of the Lord, with the power of the Holy Spirit, I can control how I respond. So here are a couple of things we need to understand. First of all, we live in a fallen world that's filled with sinful people who drive each other crazy and have no idea how to find peace. <laughs> I tried to shrink that down and I couldn't because every phrase in there is true. We live in a fallen world filled with sinful people who drive each other crazy and have no idea how to find peace. John, I think you might be exaggerating. No, I'm not. This is Romans chapter 3, the Apostle Paul talking about the world in which we live. 
No one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. Their talk is foul, like the stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They rush to commit murder. Destruction and misery always follow them. They don't know where to find peace. Let's close in prayer. I mean, oh my goodness. This sounds terrible. And you know what he's quoting? Those lines, all those little phrases are quotes from Psalms and Isaiah. He's just quoting verses throughout the Old Testament to make his point. We live in a fallen world filled with sinful people. And that's why, there's a life application right here, that's why we believe everyone on earth needs Jesus. Because Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. It's through Jesus we can have a right relationship with God restored. It's through Jesus that we can receive, because of his death on the cross, we can now receive the Holy Spirit into our lives who changes us from the inside out and makes us brand new. Listen to what Paul writes a little later, and that was a much appreciated freelance hallelujah. Thank you. But let me, just, let me just tell you what Paul wrote a little later. The same guy who wrote that horrible litany of all these things about how terrible things are also wrote this a few verses later. But we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ, and this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned, and all fall short of God's glorious standard, Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight, and he did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People made right with God when they believed that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood, and so we can be made right with God, and we can have a brand new life. We are born again. That's why we believe everybody needs Jesus. Okay, John, so then people come to Jesus, and so then after they come to Jesus we won't drive each other crazy anymore. Well, not exactly. Point B, even after we become Christians, we still drive each other crazy because we have hurts, hang-ups, and sinful habits that we need to surrender to Jesus. Sometimes there is a false thinking that goes around that says, hey, a person comes to Christ, and the day they come to Christ and surrender their life to him and say, I'm a filthy, rotten sinner, Lord. Come into my life and change me. We can presume that that change is instantaneous. The person got baptized, and so now they no longer cuss, they no longer get angry, they no longer have any issues, they never think wrongly about anything. It all happened instantly, right when they got baptized. But then we also talk about the importance, how important it is for people to get involved in a small group and to get discipled so they can learn how to live as a Christian. Well, which one is it? Well, it's the second one. When we become Christians, that's salvation. As we grow in Christ, that's sanctification. And so when you take a church like ours or any church, there are people in in process everywhere. I'm in process. You're in process. God's working on all of us. And so while we're negotiating with each other as Christians and talking to each other and stuff, of course we're going to hurt each other's feelings. Of course we're going to misunderstand each other because we're all at different places. But sometimes we're terribly unrealistic about this. The Bible speaks plainly about this. Listen to what Paul wrote in Ephesians 4. Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they're hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they've closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure. They eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that's not what you learned about Christ. 
since you've heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature, your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception, and instead let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on a new nature, on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. And so this is a process for the rest of our lives. And the older, more mature Christians need to bring along the younger, less mature Christians. And we need to help each other grow. Well, if we're all in the process of transitioning through all this and growing through all this, of course there's going to be bumps in the road. Of course we're going to be rude to each other. That's why the Bible says you need to forgive each other, bear with each other, pray for one another, encourage each other, disciple each other. If we were all instantly mature, none of that would be necessary. I remember a few years ago, I was working on a house for Habitat for Humanity. I brought along a guy with me. He had, I had baptized him the year before. He'd become a Christian, and, and we were working on the house together, and he was up on the roof with me, and he hit his thumb with a hammer, and he let, he let out some very choice words that were very colorful. Well, it was lunchtime, and we were sitting around later, an hour or two later, and this guy came up to me and said, I thought you said that guy was a Christian. I said, yeah, he is. And I was, he said, well, did you hear what he said? And I went, sure, but, man, you should have heard what he would have said a year ago. I mean, this is unbelievable. I was praising God. <laughs> and it's true. It's true. We're growing in the Lord every day. And if it's good news to you that the Holy Spirit is working on us, would you say amen? Yeah, we're all in process. And that's why even inside the church, we can drive each other crazy at times. Look, let me give you another verse on this, life application here. God is working in you. This is Philippians 2.13. God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. He's working which means we still have room to go, which means we're going to have to be understanding when somebody else is being worked on at the same time we're being worked on. This is important because God is working in you and me. Now, with all, that tr with all that understanding, we get to point C here, we will always need to work at finding peace because we will always have people around us who will drive us crazy. That's why we're talking about this today. We have to think rightly about things. We have to recognize, well, it shouldn't be that way. I shouldn't have to put up with that. I'm, somebody hurt my feelings in this church. I'm going to go join another church where no one will ever hurt my feelings. Good luck. And by the way, if you join that church, you're probably going to hurt somebody else's feelings, and now they got to leave. <laughs> I mean, that's just, not the, that's just not reality. Hmm. So if I live in a sinful world filled with sinners who don't know how to find peace, and even after I become a Christian, people are all in process, and God's working on us, and we're still going to have things when we get sideways with each other, well, what do I do? Well, I work at peace. I'm going to have to work at it. We're going to talk about a couple of ways we can do that here in a second. But I don't want to go too fast. 1 Peter 3.8, finally, all of you should be of one mind, sympathize with each other, love each other as brothers and sisters. Remember, brothers and sisters are different ages. You've got the older brother and the younger sister, all that stuff. Be tenderhearted. Keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. Peter's not just talking about people outside the church. He's talking about people inside the church. Brothers and sisters. If you have brothers and sisters, it may be possible one of your siblings sometime insulted you. I mean, I know that's a crazy idea. 
but it could have happened in some homes, like 100%, okay? But so don't retaliate with, with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That's what God has called you to do, and he will grant you his blessing. For the scriptures say, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil, your lips from telling lies, turn away from evil and do good, search for peace, and work to maintain it. Can we read this highlighted portion, please? Search for peace and work to maintain it. This is you and me. We need to work at this. And not just be offended that other people aren't working at it. We all need to work at it. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. This is Paul. We read Peter a minute ago. This is Paul. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud. Be willing to associate with people of low position. Don't be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. And if it's possible, as far as it depends on you... Live at peace with everyone. We all need to do our part. As far as it depends on you. And remember, that's what we're talking about here. I can't control everything that other people are going to say. I can't control anything that other people are going to say. But with the Lord's help, I can control how I respond. And this is where peace comes from. Not because... I got beamed off the planet but because even while I live here with people who do things, I can say, well, this is normal. And God put me here so I can work out peace in these relationships. He wants me to work at this. So here are a couple of things that will help us work out peace in our life. Three things. I could have put many more, but these are three things They'll help us find peace when other people drive us crazy. First of all, it's important that we make a realistic assessment of ourselves and our expectations. A realistic expectation of ourselves. Listen to what Romans 12.3 says. Don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each one of you. I mean, there are times when we may have had our buttons pushed by somebody for so many years. We're just so hot and bothered about this. We are so conflicted about this. We don't even know what to think. It may mean that we go and see a friend or a counselor even or a pastor and say, hey, I need a couple of objective eyes to see on this because this has been going sideways for so long I don't know what to do. Because I could be a big part of the problem. I mean, when we get to that point, we can start to have peace when we actually start evaluating things correctly. Because we can have all kinds of wrong expectations, wrong ideas about relationships. I just put down four here. I could have put down 44. But here are a few. See if any of these resonate with you. Because if I have false thinking about myself and false thinking about relationships with others, of course I'm not going to have peace. Because I'm chasing after something that's not possible. And it's going to be just frustration all the time. If I can just convince the other person, him or her, of the facts, then he or she will respond differently. Once they get the correct information, they'll have to agree with me, right? Oh, not necessarily. I mean, not necessarily. 
I wish that were true, but sometimes that's not true. Because again, I can't make people understand what I'm trying to say. Neither can you. I can never be happy until this relationship is fixed. Well, what if it's never fixed? Well, then I can never be happy. So when Jesus said, I'm going to leave you a gift of peace in this world, in this world you can have much trouble, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world, he was lying? No. We just have a false expectation here that every relationship has to be fixed before we can find peace. Remember what Paul said? As far as is possible with you, be at peace with all people. I can't make people be at peace with me, and neither can you. I mean, I think as you start to meditate on these things, you start going, well, that's right. I mean, that's sober judgment. And what am I praying for? Well, God, I want to be at peace as far as it's possible with me. And if you're working on me and you're working on the other person, then work on me enough to do my part and then work on them and I'll pray for them. We're going to talk about that more in a minute. Well, if I just work harder, I can fix him or her. Anybody here ever tried to fix somebody else? Yeah, that is a bad idea. Let me just go out on a limb there. They won't like it, and you won't either. I love him or her too much to let him or her face the consequences of their actions. It's called caretaking. I'm not going to let them face the consequences. I'm going to bail them out. And I've bailed them out 10 times before, and they never change, and they don't appreciate me, and they don't understand. They don't know what all I've sacrificed, and I don't have any peace. Well, who said you had to bail them out? Hmm. When we find peace is when we have realistic assessment of ourselves our expectations, and our relationship with others. That's when I can find peace. And so I need to pray for that, and God will give that to us. By the way, I can find peace when I take responsibility for my choices and actions, not the choices and actions of others. This is so important, as far as is possible with me. One day, a rich man came to Jesus, and he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, well, um, you know, keep the commandments. And the, the man said, I've done this since I was a little boy. And here's what Jesus said. Looking at the man, genu- Jesus felt genuine love for him. He wasn't angry at him, wasn't fussing at him. He loved him. And he said, well, there's still one thing you haven't done. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and then you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But this the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many he had many possessions. It doesn't say that Jesus ran after him. It says that Jesus loved him and let him make his own choices. And Jesus' peace didn't depend on the man's response. The only person that I can control is me. And I need the Lord's help to do that. And we're praying for peace. It helps have a good assessment. What am I trying to do in this relationship? And am I handling this realistically and in a healthy way? Secondly, you and I can make a realistic assessment of the person and the problem or problems driving us crazy. 
I'd start with myself, and then I can start with, hey, am I assessing the other person correctly? Philippians 4, the Apostle Paul said, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right. But I want to, if you have a pen and want to underline anything in this paragraph, fix your thoughts on what is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice what you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing, and then the God of peace will be with you. Because if I'm going to find peace, I need to be able to find truth. Because then I'm making a good decision. I'm handling things the right way. And even then, if it's a difficult decision, like letting someone walk away and other things, I can have peace because I know I've assessed the situation correctly. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means, first of all, it means listening. And this is a life application. We can listen to the person driving us crazy to make sure we understand the problem correctly. My brothers and sisters, James 1 My brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, because human anger doesn't produce the righteousness that God desires. I mean, so many times we skip this step and we don't listen. We reverse engineer the problem. That means when I see a person behaving a certain way, I look at that behavior and I go, wow, they're behaving like this. The only reason that I would ever behave like that is because of this. But that person didn't grow up where I grew up. That person didn't have the same people in his life as I've had. And so they may be reacting like this, but their motivation may be way over here. So I'm saying, well, this must be the reason. And so I go after that when the real reason is over here. And so if I want to seek the truth, I could go, hey, I see you reacting this way. Can you tell me what's going on? Because I don't understand that. Well, now I'm getting at the truth. And if I was right, Okay, then I'm right. But I may be completely wrong. And that's why we're supposed to listen first, be slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Because then if I have to deal with a hard situation, I know I've dealt with it honestly and truthfully, and I can have peace. Hard decisions still need to be made. They don't have to take my peace away. Because when I look back and I go, man, did I handle that the right way? Yeah. I had an honest assessment of myself. I had an honest assessment of the other person. Here's another thing that will help. We can also ask the Lord to give us love and compassion for the person who's driving us crazy. Matthew 5, 43, Jesus said, you've heard the law that says, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, And that way you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. This is so important that we go, God, would you give me love for this person? Because this person is driving us crazy with a certain behavior or a certain way they say things. just lights us up. God, the truth is you love that person, and would you help me understand them? Would you help me understand what motivates them? Would you give me compassion for them? And would you help me love them? Now, this is the last point of your outline. This takes surrender. We need to surrender ourselves, the person and the problem driving us crazy over the Lord, because I can't do this on my own. And my own strength, you drive me crazy. I just, just get away from me. I don't feel any love. I don't care if I'm dealing with it objectively. I just 
This drives me nuts. And so the Lord tells us, bring these problems to him. Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And then the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Why? Because we've surrendered it over to him. Lord, you've got to help me love people. And let me say something about that real quickly, too. Because in our culture today, love is equated with emotions or feelings. So you hear of all these celebrities, and they fall in love, and they get married, and then a year, six months or a year later, they're getting divorced already. Well, we didn't feel the same anymore. Our feelings grew cold. So we had to split up. We had to divorce. And we talk that way in our culture. In our culture, love is all about how you feel. In the Bible, love is all about a choice to treat people the way the Lord treated us, with grace and kindness. 1 Corinthians 13, the Christians were fighting in Corinth. And Paul, they were fighting over spiritual gifts, over which one had the best gift and all these things. And Paul said, well, if you want the greatest spiritual gift, it's love, because love is patient and kind, and love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It doesn't demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It doesn't rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. I mean, I go over that passage with every couple that I perform a wedding ceremony for. And we talk about it because they're making a vow. And vows aren't about feelings. I mean, imagine on a wedding day, do you vow that you will always feel excited whenever your spouse walks in the door? I mean, even couples that have been married only six weeks can tell you that wouldn't be possible. But we don't ask them to make vows like that. We say, hey, the vows are about something you can actually do. Do you promise to forgive? Do you promise to cherish? Do you promise to love this person for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, and sickness and health till the day you die? You can do those things, but those are a choice whether you feel like it or not. If I'm going to find peace, then i got to go, Lord, you got to give me the strength to be patient when I don't feel like being patient. Lord, you got to help me be kind when I don't feel like being kind. I'm going to assess the truth about myself, about the other person and the situation. But now, God, would you help me believe the best about them even when I don't want to? Remember, this is not a message about conflict resolution. This is a message about finding peace so the actions and attitudes of others don't determine my actions and attitudes. The Lord does. Peace is not the absence of difficult people. Peace is the presence of Jesus. One more scripture. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. This is our verse for the whole series. What's perfect peace? Perfect peace is a calm assurance that God is working and his way is best. That he will guide me into truth. He will help me understand myself and my circumstances. He will give me compassion when I ask for it. He will help me love people who don't love me back. He will help me maintain peace as far as it depends on me. If you want that kind of peace, then you need to pray with me right now. I want you to stand and I want you to pray with me about that.
Gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you today and we want peace. Lord, we live in a fallen world where there are sinful people all around us. And even after we come to you as Christians, Lord, we're all growing and we're all at different stages. And of course, we offend each other. And so, Lord, we need to be able to forgive each other and work through our problems. And Lord, we can't get our peace, let our peace be determined by what happens to us today. Our peace needs to be determined by you. So before we leave this room right now, Lord, we ask that you would fill us with peace. That you would give us a calm assurance that you are working in us. And Lord, that we would trust that your way is best, that you will guide us through the conflicts we're working through right now. You will guide us through the conflicts that are coming this week. If you want that kind of peace, say, God, I want that. I trust you. Lord, we thank you for your Holy Spirit who is working in us, giving us the desire and the power to do what pleases you. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who will open our minds to all truth. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that is working in the lives of the people, the very people who are driving us crazy. God, help us examine our motives. I can't control others. I don't want them to control me. I can't go around bailing people out all the time either, Lord. That's not my job. But I can pray for people. And I can let go of past offenses. And I can trust you. If the Lord spoke to you today, while I was talking, you went, oh man, I needed to hear that. Right where you're standing right now, you say, Lord, I heard you. Work in my life. Change me. Give me peace. Lord, we thank you for hearing our prayers. We thank you for Jesus gave us forgiveness whose love for us is outrageous who made it possible for us to be a part of your family we thank you for the Holy Spirit who's working us even now as we leave here today we ask that you would fill us with peace in the name of Christ Amen